Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We need people to really stick with us. Uh, right now, we're in that stay-at-home order, and every day, you know, when I'm taking questions, you know, people are saying, can't I just make this exception? Can't I just make this exception? And I have to say, it's so hard, but, like, no exceptions right now. Like, this isn't forever, but um, anything that limits new infections um, is just what we need to be doing right at this moment. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman, and with us today is Dr. Allison Arwoody, the health commissioner for the city of Chicago, who never dreamed, I assume, that you'd be in the middle of a pandemic. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly um, this is something that we prepare for. We think a lot about in public health. You know, we've done exercises around this, um, but you you never you never quite think that it's going to fully come or if it does come that it's going to come and you know hit Chicago and all these things that you've been exercising are things that you're going to actually be needing to respond to in real time but it's here and we are absolutely you know putting all of our resources all of our effort into making sure that we do the best job we possibly can um, of protecting the health um, of the city of Chicago. Before we get started, how are you personally holding up? <laughs> I'm holding up okay. Um, you know, I it, it had been, it's, it's funny, when someone reminded me the other day that um, I was three months into my my job formally as, as commissioner, city council had um, approved my confirmation back on January 15. And I said, oh, you know, wow, it's only been three months. And actually just four days later was, was when the CDC first called us and said O'Hare was going to be one of the airports screening patients for coronavirus. So literally I've been doing almost nothing but coronavirus, um, you know, for the last three months. So I think in a lot of ways, you know, as people in general are, are recognizing, you just get into different routines, you get a new normal. Um, we've had a new normal here at CDPH for a, a good three months. And certainly, although the last month really has ramped that up even more, um, I think, you know, like anything, you get used to different circumstances, you get used to different speed. Um, and I certainly am working a lot, but I'm trying to also uh, make sure I take care of myself. The advice, you know, you hear me giving on Facebook Live and others is, is advice that I try to take for myself. Yeah. How much sleep are you getting a night? Um, it depends on the night. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, ideally, if people aren't calling me too late, um, I try to I try to get some sleep. Obviously, I, I wake up really early. Um, but, you know, if there's some nights where I'm only getting getting a few hours, I try at least every few nights to make sure that I'm that I'm uh, trying to do what I can to catch up and, and get a more complete night's sleep. So it's something that I'm re really uh, conscious of. I, I, I know that when people don't get enough sleep, 
um, it can, you know, it can lead to more difficulty making decisions and it can lead to just shorter tempers all the way around. And so, so I have, I have to, I mean, to be perfectly honest, I, when you, when you train to be a doctor and you do residency, right, that's the time when you're working in the hospital. And when I did that, that was a time where every few days I was doing a 30 hour shift um, and getting very little sleep for that time. And so um, not, you know, even this is in a lot of ways, not, not like that in terms of just the, you know, repeat, 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 um, very little sleep. So I'm careful to make sure that I'm getting, um, that I'm getting sleep and, and, and making that a priority. Virtually everything else has gone by the wayside. So if I get a load of laundry in every few days that, you know, that's great. And if I call my mother occasionally, that's great. Um, but other than that, I'm, I'm mostly just, just, just sleeping and working, but that's okay. Like this is the work that I, um, that I am best trained to do. And I am just, you know, I'm the, the sort of the voice for the work that the entire Chicago Department of Public Health is doing. So, so all day I'm checking in with my team. So we're really talking about, you know, where are we? What do we need to do next? What can we do better? Talk to the data team, the testing team, the healthcare team, the mental health team. Um, you know, all the people working on technology and outreach, and homeless, and, you know, we have this huge operation, and it's really my job just to make sure that we're coordinated, moving things quickly, um, and then sharing publicly uh, the work that we're doing. So it's, it's hard work, but for me, it's, it's, it's the work that I, in, you know, in some ways, am, am the best trained to do. And um, at some level, although of course I would never want this to be happening, I do find some of these decisions um, and just conversation around the country and the world, I still do find it very like um, intellectually. Um, fascinating. Fascinating, right? Fascinating, right. And so these conversations are also, um, those, those keep me really interested too. Like I'm putting out flyers every day. Uh, but the big conversations about what do we do sort of as a, as a city, as a country, as a world about this virus are, are huge and really just interesting questions that I'm, I'm glad to be able to be part of these conversations on. So those give me a lot of um, sort of energy through the day, too, when you have a chance to step back and think about the bigger picture. Now, this week, you and the mayor made the case that we're making progress in bending the curve, but we are not there yet. You tried to tell people that what we're doing, the sacrifices we're all making, are worth it, and yet we need to stay the course. Boy, that's a tough sell, isn't it? It is. And I think, you know, part of the reason why um, I've, I've, I've felt really strongly about making sure that, that, that we're trying to be as accessible as we can, um, answering public questions, really sharing the data directly is because it is a complicated message. And, I, and you have to, I think, have a few opportunities to continue to explain it to people. Um, we absolutely are making progress. Like when I look at where we are as a city compared to even where we were two to three weeks ago, I'll tell you I'm sleeping a whole lot better at night than I was a couple of weeks ago. Um, where you know we were seeing these these really significant increases, really worried about our healthcare system, um, and seeing stories from Italy and from New York. Uh, and that if and, and knowing that um, we had done all of the right things in terms of putting these strong stay-at-home orders in place, um, that people largely were adhering to them, 
But knowing that it takes some time to see that that impact come in, um, we all started breathing a lot easier as we saw that curve flattening and were able to say, okay, at least right now, um, the hospitals are stretched, you know, it, it's, been a, it's been a lot, but if we can continue on this, we're unlikely at least, you know, if we, if we keep going the way we're going, um, we, we, we're feeling better that we're not going to completely overwhelm the health system. Because if you overwhelm the health system, then you really start seeing the problems with mortality and death and, you know, all of the other, all of the just, you know, really, really difficult, you know, how do you prioritize people for care and, you know, these crisis standards of care, we really don't want to get in. So it, we felt it was important to let people know that the sacrifices they're making absolutely are making a difference. Where we're at this doubling every 12 day rate, um, that is getting toward, you know, that is getting very, very flat. Um, but we need to be a point at a point where we're seeing that rate of infections coming back down. And we, we will be seeing that soon. The progress that we make um, in, in flattening that curve does mean that that date pushes out a little bit later, um, but that's, that's sort of a good thing because if it had risen up so much more quickly, we would have run out of the, the, the capacity in our healthcare system. So at the, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're, we obviously remain highly concerned. Um, we need people hanging in there with us, uh, sticking with the stay at home. Um, really doing everything that we can at the community level uh, to limit new infections right now. Um, but pairing that when with you look at when you look at the deaths, though, doctor. Yesterday yeah. there was a uh, a spike in deaths and the highest daily death rate in Illinois that we've seen, and yet yep. the death rate lags behind. Right, the flattening. Yes. Isn't that right? You're, you're exactly so right. That. Yeah. You're exactly right. So if you think about how this works, um, it's very unusual for someone to develop COVID and you know die right away. Like that's not typically how it works. People will get infected and then they might get sicker and they might get admitted to the hospital and then they might need to go in the ICU. And, and then unfortunately, in some cases people, people die, but that takes some time. And so we see the rise in cases and then we see the rise in hospitalizations and then we see the rise in ICU and then we see the rise, especially in deaths. And so, um, we we do, and you've seen that in New York and in other places too. That unfortunately, you know, we have an amazing healthcare system here in Chicago, and um, you know, I've been in these hospitals. We talk to them every day. Uh, there's great work here trying to um, make sure people here who are critically ill are getting access to the clinical trials. Um, that are getting the absolute state-of-the-art best treatment, um, but this disease is such that especially people with those underlying conditions who are, who are older, um, you know, we do see a, 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 some of those folks die, and, and they often are in the hospital for quite some time, um, you know, on ventilators, really trying to um, have all, all of the best potential treatment, and so we will likely see, see deaths, I would guess, across the state still um, rising for some time, even while we're seeing the case rate starting to flatten. But then we'll see that start to flatten as well. Um, and as long as we, again, are limiting the new infections, um, I think, you know, we, we generally are, are, we're on the right, on the right path. We've been hearing from, you know, other cities in particular around the country who want to, want to talk to us about some of what we're doing here, what has worked, um, uh, we all share some best practices where we've we've done some innovative things, um, and other places have done innovative things, and we hear from them. Everybody's really working together uh, to make sure that where we see progress, we share it, 
Um, but but these big population level decisions are like that is that is about Chicago sort of sticking with it, you know. And so, um, that's but how why, long yeah. how long do we need to stick with it? I mean, what is your message to the general public? When are we going to find our way back to a whatever the new normal is going to be, but some lessening yeah. of the stay at home yeah. order? Yeah, sure. And this is why we, we talked in, in some more detail about some of that data early this week. So, you know, first and foremost, we need to be seeing a sustained drop in new cases, right? Not, not just that the increase is, is, is flattening, but to a point where that rate of increase is actually uh, going down. We stop talking about doubling rates and we start talking about that falling rate. We definitely, you know, we need to see that. We'll correct for increased testing rates as needed. That's the, that's the most important thing. Um, secondly, for how we long, need to for how long do you need to see the decline in number of cases before yeah, we lose I, in like yeah, 14 I th- days? I think it's a, how long? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think generally um, we'd want to see that over about a 14 day period. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean it would need to drop um, sort of every single day within that time period, but we'd want to be pretty confident that we were on um, a, a path that we. Um, you know that that we that were that shows that we're seeing the sustained drop. So I think um, uh, that's you know where we look at where we are. We know we have the stay-at-home order in through the end of April at a minimum, um, and that is the governor's decision. But uh, certainly the city and the state are looking at numbers in the city and the state and, and making the you know making making decisions um, really based on data. And um, you know, you've heard you've heard the mayor say there there may need to be an extension of that stay-at-home order. If we do that, it will be based on the data. We're not talking about months and months here. Um, we're you know related to what we're seeing, um, but we do want to see that that decrease. Um, and so, so that's one factor. That's only one of the factors. What are the other the factors? factors? Yeah. So What's for the, what sure. Yes. So for sure, for sure, this close monitoring of what's going on in our hospitals and our ICUs and our ventilators and the deaths as well. Um, We have to make sure that all of our, you know, all of our hospitals here in Chicago can continue to safely treat all patients who need to be hospitalized without needing to use what we call crisis standards of care. Crisis standards of care is things like rationing ventilators, right, or um, not not being able to provide all the care that that, that would be needed to somebody. Um, and so we're able to do that now, partly because the hospitals have surged a little bit, so they have more ICU capacity than they normally would. We work to get more ventilators out, um, and we're doing okay there. We have about a quarter of the ICU beds with that surge built in across the hospital, I mean, across the city's hospitals. We've got about half of the ventilators with the surge ventilators that we put into the system available. Um, but we'll need to keep a close eye on that. And um, uh, and then, you know, right now is to make sure that, that we're able to maintain that. And then moving forward, as we start to loosen restrictions and um, you know, start working as, you know, as quickly as we safely can to limit a lot of this economic, social, mental health fallout, we will very closely continue to monitor that because what we can't do is run the risk of a surge of infections. Um, uh, you know, number one, that would be very bad for, you know, if you had to, if you had, say you opened everything up, 
which we wouldn't do it like that. It wouldn't be like a light switch. But if you opened everything up, you saw a big surge of cases, and then you need to shut everything back down. That would be very bad for economic, social, mental health. But it also would be really dangerous for, again, our health care system capacity. So we're feeling good about the healthcare system capacity right now. We really, again, over the next really couple few, you know, few weeks, we need to make sure that as this this flattening that we're seeing becomes a decline, um, that we maintain, again, recognizing that hospitalization, ICU, and even death data can lag a little bit. We maintain that hospital capacity, and then over, you know, in in the longer term, we'll be watching cases. We'll be watching hospital. Um, all of that healthcare data to know that as we open things up, we don't miss an early increase in cases. We monitor it, um, and then we sort of open things um, bit, sort of bit by bit is what we're likely to do. And then we'll be looking at testing capability, and then we'll be looking at our own ability to do a lot of the more detailed public health level follow-up of cases, um, which when you're getting many, many hundreds or you know more than a thousand cases. Um, a day, you you don't have as much capacity to do that. So we're doing some tech things to do that. We're doing community outreach, all sorts of really, I think, exciting and important work as we're as we're growing that. We're going to have a bigger public health capacity after this for a very long time, which which is a good thing. Now, what about contact tracing? What is it? Why it's a, why is it important? And how do you do it without invading privacy? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, contact tracing is really the bread and butter of infectious disease public health work. So even during normal times, like say um, the health department, we have about 70, a little more than 70 diseases that are reportable to us by law, meaning that if someone is diagnosed with tuberculosis or meningitis um, or measles or you know any of about 70 diseases, um, the health department must be notified of that. We get the lab result, we talk to the clinician, and then we work really quickly to understand who someone who has been infected has maybe been in contact with, who might be at risk for infection. We do that in a way that is very protective of privacy. So we talk to the case um, under you know big conversation about where they might have been, who's at risk. And then um, you know we do this for septic transmitted infections as well. We don't ever sort of call up the contacts and say, hello, you know, you know, uh, you know, you, you, you know, this person named Joe and you interact with him on this day. We say um, we have information that uh, you may have been exposed to this illness um, and we need to talk to you about your symptoms. Um, and then when there are interventions, that's where, for example, with measles, we're working to make sure people have had their vaccinations or if not, we're getting them or there's other treatments that you can do. For meningitis, if it's bacterial meningitis, we have to work really quickly because there's antibiotics that we can give to contacts to help prevent disease. Um, but that basic bread and butter contact tracing work, it takes people, um, it takes conversations, and then because of the scale of this, we're building up some technology that, again, protects patients' um, privacy, but lets us understand how the disease is spreading. And so, you know, as you know, I, I worked on um, the Ebola outbreaks, right, over in, in Liberia. And uh, the, the first time that I was there with CDC, it was not that dissimilar from where we, where we are now, where there were hundreds and hundreds of cases for every sort of one person who was working on the response. And you were doing what you could at a community level to what we call mitigate, right? Like we were really focused on making sure the hospitals had appropriate PPE and infection control. Um, but then six months later when I was back and things were in a much better um, position in terms of resources and personnel, you know, we had small arms 
armies of people who literally you're able to go house to house to house, check in, is anybody sick, anybody with a fever? And at that point, near the end of that outbreak, every single case, we you had to figure out how that case had been infected. Because if you didn't figure that out, it meant there was a chain of transmission you perhaps were not aware of. Um, and but so you use a lot case, of research. In this case, doctor, you're going to use people's cell phones. And so how does it work? Do, do you look, if I get uh, COVID-19, do you look through my contact list and no. contact everybody on my cell phone or what do you do? Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, that's a great question. Let me sort of explain the difference. So some of the cell phone data that we're using is that we're using that a little bit differently. That's totally anonymous. We do not have any individual cell phone data. We don't use any individuals like this person had a case. Um, the way we're using the cell phone data is more at a city level um, to understand how much movement we're seeing across the city. So it tells us like the data we showed last week that we went from um, about 59, 60, 61% at baseline of, of uh, mobile devices in Chicago are at home sort of in a regular 24 hour period. Saw an increase in that to about 80% being home, really showing us that, that people largely were staying home. So that's a separate thing that we use for modeling. In terms of the individual, like if you if you had COVID and the health department was doing an investigation, we would call you um, and we would we would help you think about who you might have been in contact with, right? So we might say, okay, when did your symptoms start? Go into the details. Um, let's think back, you know, even a couple of days. Who were you at least? within, you know, who, who were you in contact with within six feet, at least 10 minutes? Um, where were you outside your home? Uh, you know, really do that full investigation. And then again, in, in an anonymous way, um, we would follow up with those contacts. Um, and we say, you know, you may have been exposed. We need you to quarantine. We need you to monitor for symptoms. Here's what you need to do. Um, if we'll, you know, figure out how we're gonna get people tested, where they need to be tested. Uh, and then um, make sure they know if they get sick, what needs to happen in terms of their quarantine and isolation. Boy, that's labor intensive. That is labor intensive to do that with each case. It's very labor yeah. intensive, right. And so that's what we're not able to do that for every single case right now. Of course, we prioritize if anybody is in a, what we call a congregate setting, right? So any case in yeah. a long-term care facility or in a homeless shelter or a dormitory or anything like that we are very we do a lot of work there because there's potential for a lot of folks risk um and then where there are um situations that are called clusters where we're seeing multiple cases in a setting we investigate there but right now you're right because of the number of cases we're not doing all of that individual level and so we are planning as as part of the, the tech, and this is where this comes in. We're developing um, sort of a, a a secure app that will let people um, report in symptoms and get some advice on an individual level. Like, you know, I'm at home, I'm having a cough, and maybe if you know, maybe just a cough. Like, what am I supposed to do, right? Who do I call? What do I do to be able to help give some um, direct information? Uh, that can change over time as we have different testing locations available. Um, and then people will, again, as, as our capacity builds, be able to um, let folks uh, uh, think about who their contacts were and then be able to share sort of guidance for them more systematically. So it's, it's this big, um, it's, it's something we know how to do at the health department, but the scale of this is just different. And so you've heard the mayor and we've talked about these race equity rapid response teams. 
that is what some of this work is. It's getting out into places where we see more cases um, or where we're seeing potential clusters and pairing some of that traditional contact tracing, privacy protection work that CDPH does every single day all year round with a lot of the um, community outreach, thinking about getting testing um, into settings, even where people eventually, right, when more of this is available, point and care, won't even need to maybe leave their home to get tested, right? Like, how do you how do you do that at a systematic level? And then how do you collect all of this data so that we have a good understanding of what the virus, um, what levels are looking like here in Chicago, um, what immune responses have been like. So we have actually a very good long-term plan um, for how to collect this data, um, make sure people in Chicago are getting the info they need, and of course, heading toward vaccination, right? Like we're planning already for the vaccination phase and um, we've bought, you know, we've bought the syringes, we have the plans in place. We've, we're already thinking about how that's gonna fit in. So when we start um, sharing something, like there's gonna be a platform for people to be able to start pre-registering for vaccine and we'll wanna tie that to testing results as well as symptoms. So it's been this interesting, like both tech, privacy, typical contact tracing, and then making sure that we're using the amazing um, community power of our existing communities. So the block clubs, um, some of the you know religious communities where there already are strong social networks, we wanna make sure there's appropriate information there that's getting out, um, appropriate outreach, eventually testing, and then we'll be thinking about uh, vaccination down the line. So it's it's a big problem, but we're, we're, I feel good about where we are in Chicago in terms of, again, trying to be ahead of this in every way that we can. Um, and so now you've talked a lot. Of, you've talked a lot about, and the mayor has about the disproportionate impact in the black community and the Hispanic community, and you have these rapid response teams. How is it going? Is it working? Yeah. Are you making any progress? Yeah. So, so yeah, there's a lot of pieces to this. Um, certainly, you know, if you follow along, as you know, every day on the website uh, on chicago.gov slash coronavirus, every single day up at the top there, we have the latest data. And every day we update um, everything related to our cases and our deaths. Um, we're updating geography there in terms of maps of where we're seeing cases and counts um, and testing uh, cases and counts. And so, we are, um, you know, we're, we're seeing a, a little bit of progress related to deaths, but it is still completely um, unacceptable. Uh, and it's being, but again, that unacceptability is being driven in a lot of ways by uh, the longstanding um, chronic conditions that drive the black-white life expectancy gap here in Chicago at baseline. And so, um, you know, it's about 30% of Chicagoans are African American, and um, um, still around. I'm looking at the data from from today. You know, 49% or so of the cases are being detected in Black, non-Latinx Chicagoans, um, and uh, about 60, 60, 65, 67% of the deaths are still in Black, non-Latinx. I mean, that's a little bit lower than 72%, but it is still in not. You know, it's 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 so disproportionately. Um, impacting that that's why we feel really strongly about making sure that um, we continue to prioritize testing and outreach, you know, across the whole city, but especially in um, parts of the city where we're seeing disproportionate um, impact. So yeah, people can follow that day by day, um, uh, day by day online. And then I think in terms of um, the, the work, it's, it's 
uh, it, it's been good, I think, in terms of both. It, it's great to get ideas um, from communities, right? Like um, thoughts about what, especially I'm so concerned about people on the other side of the so-called digital divide, right? People who are older, people who are lower income, who don't have internet, who are, are not able to necessarily be getting um, the information that we put out digitally, uh, partly because of social distancing, partly because of that's just how a lot is being done. And so um, some creative thoughts about how do we better get that really important information? And how do we make sure we're not missing people, especially in those vulnerable populations? Um, but I worry a lot, are there people who still may not be getting the food support that they need or um, you know, the housing support or the information, or they may be sick and they're not sure how to reach to their doctor. And so really the boots on the groundwork of um, in a careful, socially distant way, ensuring that we're connecting with folks in these more vulnerable, um, especially economically vulnerable uh, communities and getting information and then and then interventions, testing um, eventually, if, if, you know, treatments, vaccination, all of that becomes part of the package. We didn't want to wait um, to start getting some of this work in place, uh, um, we wanted to really start with it right away. So I was really pleased and I've been pleased with the project. I think next week we're planning to do some updates actually for everybody about what's happening so far. Can we talk about what, when we finally loosen things up, what kinds of limits will we have to continue to live with? For example, restaurants, are they likely to have to limit the number of tables? And if they are, because they have to be six feet apart. And if they are, how does their financial model work when they have such a high failure rate and slim profit margins to begin with? Yeah, exactly. These are exactly the kinds of questions um, that we're talking about. And, you know, not just us, the folks who think about, um, uh, you know, the, the business community here in Chicago and sort of the long-term economic um, impact. And I do think that, you know, I, um, again, we'll, we'll let this data, we'll let the data and sort of the state um, drive this. But yeah, we'll be thinking about things like social distancing and what does that look like and recognizing that um, if, if you're, you know, certainly restaurants and table distance, but also things like um, large events or needing to, you know, leave spaces free that you do run up against profit margins pretty quickly there. And so, um, there's going to be a lot of work. Like we, we've been having conversations just today. We were sort of having a conversation with the larger team through the mayor's office about um, what do these conversations look like with different industries? How do we help them understand? Um, and again, it's not a light switch. It's not on and off. It's probably starting um, with, with, uh, with, with, with some level of needing to have particular restrictions in place. And then as we make progress, loosen those and make progress, loosen those. Um, but helping all of the different sectors have some understanding um, of what that looks like at a high level and some support, I think, in, um, in terms of both predicting, but then thinking about, and this is where I think a lot of the, the federal work around, what are we doing to support businesses um, and people who, uh, are, you know, whose job is not there to come back to potentially for a long time. Um, certainly so so on, the yeah. restaurant front, on the restaurant front, doctor, are we likely to have restaurants open and say, you must limit the number of tables? And obviously they're going to want to be open a little, if not, you know, better than not opening at all. But are we likely to tell them that they can only have this many tables? Yeah, well, I think you saw, you know, just yesterday, 
President Trump put out um, uh, his thoughts for kind of high level across the country opening, and um, you saw some some detail in there about that. Now I can't say we'll we'll be following exactly that in detail, um, but some thoughts about what. Uh, social distancing needs to look like is absolutely going to be part of the decision. And, that, and this is where it gets, it gets complicated because it's easy to say, yeah, open with social distancing, but what that actually means in the different sectors and recognizing that there are some sectors that that is just going to be easier to do than in others. And if you think about that, some of the sectors where you may have more people living paycheck to paycheck may also be the ones where social distancing is more difficult, means that you need to really be thinking um, carefully and thinking ahead as a city about uh, what that means long-term. So I've been very impressed with the, the thought that is going into this. You know, I mostly contribute from the health perspective, but um, really robust and thoughtful conversations about how we make sure that we um, are, are, are thinking about these issues of equity, right? Like the mayor, um, as you know, already had as her platform a poverty agenda. And with this overlaid on top of, um, of that underlying, uh, underlying agenda, I, I do think in some ways, um, although we never wanted anything like this to happen, where you think about poverty agenda, where you think about Healthy Chicago 2025, that, that was the health department's agenda to really close the black-white life expectancy gap. And, um, in some ways, coronavirus has highlighted um, in a really concentrated way um, that is hard to ignore the different ways that um, holes in our social safety net, um, uh, different levels of access to care, different levels of chronic diseases and the reasons why those are, this has highlighted this in a way that has, has brought attention to some of these major, major issues. Um, and I think that there's real political and economic and sort of societal desire to actually uh, work on addressing some of these longstanding problems. So I'm really, you know, Mayor Lightfoot has been an amazing um, leader in this and thought partner um, and, and her whole team and folks across the city really wanting to make sure that we, that we take this terrible outbreak um, and uh, at the same time that we're, we're putting out the daily fires um, and obviously doing everything we can to limit infections and just um, stop the, you know, every time we, we hear about a death, every time we hear about these, you know, hundreds or thousands of cases, like those are families, those are individuals, people from the health department are often having to do the individual investigations talking to these families and it's really heartbreaking and terrible for every one of these situations. But it does offer, I think, some opportunity, um, and the mayor's really been leading on this at a national level, to think differently about how, as a society, we make sure that we are putting resources where they are most needed, um, and that we're thinking about making a strong Chicago uh, for the long term as a result of this. So I've been really- So before we go, doctor, before we go, it, when baseball opens up, when football season opens up, when, when stadiums are allowed to accept fans again, are we likely to see this many fans as a limit and a distance between them? Is that what it's gonna start like? Yeah, I mean, my guess, would, yeah, my guess would be we'd see that probably start up with, you know, games on television that don't yet have spectators, maybe, right? Um, or, uh, and then we would probably see it open, um, yeah, potentially with some of this 
uh, more spacing between seats. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to do this. And all of this is, of course, around questions of when do we have treatment, right? When do we have vaccine? And um, all of these big level societal decisions are happening in parallel with the really exciting scientific work that's happening. And so, um, uh, you know, if we got to a point where we had really much better treatments available, and most importantly, a, va a vaccine available, um, the whole calculus of this will change. And I think we're doing creative thinking around things like, you, you know, you've heard me talk about this antibody testing, which is in infancy. It is not... Uh, quite ready for prime time, and we're still using it in conjunction with the more standard testing that looks for actual presence of virus in the nose. But the antibody testing is looking for the body's immune response to the virus. It lets you know that at least in a partial way, we don't know that it's complete, we don't know how much protection there is yet, um, and we don't know for sure how long that protection lasts. But as we learn more about that, recognizing that there will be populations of people um, who have some immunity. And then once we have a vaccine, you will have people who, who you know, really have immunity. That whole piece is also gonna play into the conversation because everybody is doing everything we can to get us, you know, to get us moving again in like, as quickly as we can in a way that is safe and does not see um, spikes in infection, does not uh, run the risk of overwhelming the healthcare system, does not run, you know, it would be terrible to reopen everything too quickly and then need to shut it all back down again, as we've seen in some other countries. So we're, we do have the benefit that we're a little bit behind in terms of time, some of the other countries around the world. Um, and we're watching really closely what happens in those countries, looking at their data, looking at some of their decision-making, and then we'll be using that um, to really help, help make decisions here. But some of that antibody testing, for example, like that will probably play into um, decisions about, about work. Um, who is, you know, who may be the best suited to be taking care of patients, especially in long-term care facilities where we have, you know, nursing homes where we have a lot of really vulnerable people. You'd love to make sure that folks who have more protection against the virus may be some of the people doing a lot of that hands-on care. We're not there yet because we are still waiting on, you know, FDA authorization and, 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 and full understanding of, of what, you know, there's still a lot of false positives and negatives. Um, but even when a vaccine becomes available, it's just going to be a different conversation than we've had. Um, but I'm really committed and we're really committed in Chicago to being as transparent as we can be with the public about the data we're seeing, how we're using it, um, and how we'll, we'll be making recommendations that are local, um, you know, in coordination with the state, uh, that limit the impacts of all kinds here. So it's a it's, it's good, robust conversation. The mayor's been an absolute leader on this across the country. Um, and well, I'm really glad to be, to be part of that, that team from the health perspective. And it's, um, you know, it's gonna be a long road here, uh, but we're making really good progress on that road. Like so, so much we really are. Um, and we need people to really stick with us uh, right now, we're in that stay-at-home order, and every day, you know, when I'm taking questions, you know, people are saying, can't I just make this exception? Can't I just make this exception? And I have to say, it's so hard, but, like, no exceptions right now. Like, this isn't forever, but 
Um, anything that limits new infections um, is just what we need to be doing right at this moment. And then when we're on the downward slope and we do have the ability to start really getting a better handle on some of this really the contact tracing and the testing and continuing to monitor all of those other things um, and to really be able to make sure that workplaces are, are, are a safer place to be, right? That's like all of this. It's like not just protecting, but making sure people are feeling that um, they're able to come out and be in settings where the protection is going to be reasonable um, is, is the other side of this. So it's a huge problem to solve, but I, I do think we've We've really benefited from a, a lot of thoughtful partners here, um, and it's a it's, it's a worldwide conversation. So, um, it's, well, Dr. Arwadi, yeah. thank you so much for all your hard work, and keep up the good work. <laughs> I'll I'll try. Yeah, I say the same thing to everybody else, so I do try to take my own advice. But yeah, thanks for the time. I, I really appreciate it. Um, and you know, happy happy to talk again. I I um you know these are these are the problems that that we we've exercised for and we're we're now really trying to solve them in real time and we want the public to really have a good understanding of how we're making those decisions so i'm um, happy to keep talking thanks so much thank you see you all next week